0: Hello, I'm Drew Catt, Ed EdChoice's Director of State Research and Policy Analysis, and I'm joined today by Savan Tuckman, Research Analyst at the Center on Reinventing Public Education, or SERPI. Thanks for joining us, Savan. So, Savan, we're curious. Have you always wanted to be a researcher? Describe your journey to studying K-12 education.
1: Uh, yeah, so I... I am not one of those people who always dreamed of um, researching um, K-12 education, but um, I did my undergrad in sociology at Berkeley, and um, taking a sociology of education class kind of made me realize that I truly believe in education as um, a lever uh, for social change, and that kind of spurred me towards um, wanting to eventually go into policy. I started, though, in the classroom um, and taught for eight years in private, public, and charter schools and um, taught special education in each one, and I knew that eventually I wanted to go and do something more. Um, It wasn't really until I started teaching um, at a full inclusion charter school that I realized that school choice was an opportunity for students with disabilities in a way that uh, I just didn't see the traditional public schools that I had taught at um, being able to provide and was just kind of blown away by the opportunities that charter schools could have. Um, And then also realizing that there were lots of types of school choice and wanting to know more about how Each one of those sorts of systems could potentially um, enable students with disabilities to be successful um, both academically as well as um, in later life outcomes, um, social-emotional skills, et cetera. So um, that eventually put me on a path towards looking for um, PhDs in ed policy um, and finally found a fit when I went to the University of Arkansas.
0: Yes. Speaking of which, so you've been working towards your doctorate of philosophy in education policy, as you said, at the University of Arkansas, and you studied the effects of private school choice programs on the probability of a student being identified or de-identified in special education. Tell us more about what you found.
1: Well, I think what we generally, as you described, we found were – very much in line with what economic theory um, would expect us to find, which was we found a much greater likelihood of students with disabilities uh, no longer being category- categorized as needing special education services um, in the second year of the program. And in the third, second and third year of the program, there was um, a lower probability that students would be newly identified as having a disability. Um, so in in general... There did seem to be an overall difference in uh, the likelihood that a student participating in the program would ever be in special education, though um, at the end of the three years, the difference in that was not statistically significant, but we definitely saw the trend that um, the private schools were removing those labels from students and not um, putting on new labels for students. Um, We did a little bit of work on... um, academic achievement, but it was a very hard analysis to do with our small sample and the challenges of working with test score data for students with disabilities.
0: Yeah, those small ends can be tricky sometimes. Yeah. So how can policymakers use your findings? Is there anything they can take away and use right now?
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, people want to know, like, is this good or is this bad? Um, and I think different people would have different opinions on whether, you know, lower numbers or overall rates of um, students being identified in special education is a good thing and others that would find it bad. Um, I think all I can say is this is just the way it is. Um, we see the same trends in charter schools um, through some research by Marcus Winters and Elizabeth Setrin. So we weren't surprised to find um, these results. Um And I think at the end of the day, policymakers need to realize that when we talk about school choice, parents are making the decision about what they want for their students, Um, and schools are not necessarily obligated to um, continue some of those explicit service provisions that students previously had in the traditional public schools. It's not to say that they're not still providing students with everything they need because parents are choosing them. And if parents are choosing a school that, um, says they don't need a special education label anymore, then that's totally their prerogative. Um, I think it's important though that you know policymakers also consider you know what do we need to do to make sure that parents are making good and informed um, decisions when they're going into a choice system, especially around special education. Um, you know, a lot of people even. Would never apply to a program because they think, "Oh, well, if I apply to this private school choice program um, and I no longer have my special education label and I decide not to, is it gone forever? Do I have to go back through the rigmarole that is um, the eligibility process in a traditional public school? So I think um, having good systems for informing the public um, about realities of these programs is um, really important. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And you also recently co-penned a piece with Robin Lake titled Disability Rights Advocates Are Fighting the Wrong Fight on School Choice. What inspired this discussion? What are advocates doing wrong and what should they be doing instead?
1: Well, I i mean, I work at Sarpy because of that kind of article. Um, you know, Robin and I both have um, very Diverse experiences around special education and school choice um, you know she has it from um, the the serpi lens as well as as a parent um, and mine is as an educator and a researcher so I think that even though we're coming at it from totally different vantage points we both see that special education um, is ep- It's stuck in 1997. At worst, it's stuck in 1970. Um, And so we we know that choice is an opportunity for parents, and it's an opportunity that um, right now is held in the hands of um, the districts when parents might see that a school of choice is a good option for their students. The district is really the strong arm in that relationship, um, and school choice puts uh, control in the hands of the parents But unfortunately, uh, what's happening in the special education and disability rights community is a lot of skepticism and, I think, the giving of misinformation um, to parents. So, you know, I have had the experience myself that even, even with special education researchers, you know, being deterred from studying school choice for students with disabilities under the premise that they just discriminate. But... Um, That wasn't my experience, and so I think it's really important that um, we know what is really happening um, and that we encourage advocates to advocate for students um, and not necessarily for these institutions that have existed for uh, whatever number of years and what we see is that in school uh, in cities that have a large percent of students enrolled in charter schools you don't see the large disparities in special education enrollment that's likely because you know parents have more information about what charter schools are you know their neighbor's kid goes to a charter school um, and the misinformation is um alleviated um slightly by the fact that there're just more of them around Um, And there's also, you know, special education vouchers are in 13 states now. So the idea that we can just tell parents, don't enroll your kids in these programs or, um, you know, you're going to go into massive debt if you choose to send your kid to um, a school participating in a private school voucher program. Um, These are not helpful for students. What's helpful for students is making sure that these programs um, have Um, regulatory processes or safeguards in place so that parents can make good decisions and that students are protected. Um, And at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're fighting the right fight. Um, And it's not to eliminate these programs that are clearly not going anywhere. It's to make sure that the students who do choose to participate in them are receiving what they need.
0: Yeah. So staying in the vein of school choice what critical needs and priorities do you see for future school choice research?
1: Well, as I kind of alluded to, I think that, you know, regulation is something we really need to be looking at. Um, I mean, there's some work looking at um, different aspects of schools that participate in private school choice programs based on um, the types of regulatory frameworks. Um, But even if we think of, like, Uh, charter schools or open enrollment, you know, what is the right way to make sure that we have high quality school supply within a city um, in every neighborhood? So students, you know, aren't having to travel an hour each way to get to and from school within urban cities. Um, And I think that, you know, um, we need to recognize how detrimental it is um, that funding is not functioning in an equitable manner. So, you know, we talk a lot in school choice about backpack funding, especially when we think of special education, where you can enumerate, you should be able to enumerate how much money is spent on each individual student based on their services and um, the underlying per pupil expenditure for um, a given district. Um, But at the end of the day, it's really hard to find that amount of money. Um, That data is just not being made available to researchers. Um, And I think at the end of the day, it's detrimental to not be able to make recommendations on how much money should be in a given student's backpack. So we have a student in New York City who gets, you know, 60 minutes a day in a resource room and maybe 30 minutes a week of speech therapy Um, I need to know how much that costs because that tells me that that student, if they want to go to a school of choice, should be able to have that amount of money go with that student, whatever kind of school that might be, whether it's a magnet school or a charter school or a virtual school, or, um, it's a private school voucher. But right now, I mean, we have programs that are just not being equitably funded, um, partly for political reasons, I think, um, but when we're talking about students with disabilities, I think you're really doing a disservice by saying, hey, you're making the choice to about what school you want to go to. Um, thus, we're going to give you less funding.
0: Yeah. So what's next for you? Can you tell us about any of your upcoming projects?
1: Yeah. So right now, the big thing we're working on here um, at SERPI is um, personalized learning. So we've been doing a lot of this work um, through the Gates Foundation, um, and that should be coming out in um, late winter or early spring. Um, I've also been doing some work with the National Center on Special Education and Charter Schools uh, to do some case studies uh, that look at schools that are intentionally implementing personalized learning um, and school discipline, specifically around students with disabilities. Um, And then... um, really trying to think hard about how we can look better at school matching and school fit for students with disabilities and choice systems. Um, so when you have, you know, a robust choice system within your city, whether it's, you know, a D.C. or a Los Angeles, um, a New Orleans, you know, how are families choosing those schools? How are they determining whether a school is a good fit for their student? And then how are they interacting with um the information sources as well as the enrollment systems that are available to them so that they are able to find that good fit cuz that's you know a huge underlying theory behind um school choice as well as when we think specifically about special education we're all about the individual student um and trying to find those schools that match them well um i think it should definitely be something we're thinking hard about um and then last, I'll give a plug that uh, I'll be going to the EdChoice Academy this October. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to being part of uh, the first cohort of that.
0: Yeah, it should be a good time. So is, do you have anything else to add for us today, Sylvain? Um
1: I don't think so. Um, I mean, I'm excited to be uh, out of grad school and, you know, diving into some of the hard questions that are out there around school choice, especially. Um, but you know, it's called the center on reinventing public education for a reason. And, um, I think, uh, you know, we're really trying to dig into some of those issues around how do you truly reinvent how we're thinking about education for students so that, um, reform can actually be, um, reforming, because I think right now um, we we do a lot of reform and not much changes, um, which uh, I think is at a loss for mostly students.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, the difference between reform and change.
1: Yes, <laughs> especially when it's in, in, in policies, uh, when we talk about policy and then practice, uh, usually they're not a straight line between the two.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sivan. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. There you have it. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcasts for more of our coverage of new school choice research and education reform policy chats. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take care.